Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 19th episode, the Felipe Massa episode, and I'm here after the Austrian GP. It's a bit later than I usually record. Uh, I've been not feeling too well today, so I've uh, kind of pushed it off getting this recording done, but I am doing it. I am powering through for you guys. But yeah, it was a sprint weekend at the Red Bull Ring, so that means there is a lot to go over. So let's get right into it. It's lights out and away we go! In Austria this weekend, hundreds of thousands of fans in attendance again at the Red Bull Ring. And boy, was it orange as ever in those grandstands. Absolute scenes, once again, for Max Verstappen and his fans. Um, But on the topic of the fans, uh, it was unfortunate to hear about some of the abuse that was allegedly happening at the event this weekend. Um, I'm not sure what all was happening, whether it was multiple incidents or one incident, but F1 did put out a statement condemning whatever it was that happened. And I just want to say that I don't think it at all represents what F1 and Verstappen fans are like. Um, I I don't want to, you know, I I mentioned Max Verstappen fans and then I go into a bit of abuse. I'm not trying to put any blame on Verstappen. It could have been, you know, like a Ferrari fan that showed up or it could have been a fan of any team. You know what I mean? It could have been a Mercedes. Who knows? Could have been a Haas fan. (laughs) Um... Yeah, I don't know why I'm laughing, but I think maybe everyone else does. But anyway, um, hey, Haas, Haas is going to be getting a lot of fans soon. They are everyone's favorite underdog right now. But anyway, um, on, on, on a serious note, I, I think that they it's just abuse at a at an event like Formula One. I mean, abuse anywhere. Let's be honest, guys, is just not really tolerable. Um, but to think of like an F1 event, you pay all this money to go and see your favorite drivers hit the track. It's supposed to be something you enjoy and yet people are ruining it for others. Like, uh, just, it really, it really ticks me off because I think F1 does get a bad rap sometimes for being a bit of an elitist sport. And when these stories come out, you know, it just, it just rubs me the wrong way. I want this sport to grow as much as possible and I don't want to see steps back because of just silly things like this. Like, why do you go to an event looking to, you know, discriminate or abuse other people? It's it's mind it's mind blowing. But anyway, I won't I won't talk more about that. Uh, anyways, let's get into qualifying. Again, so much to go over. Having quali on a Friday is always great, uh, and it looked like there could have been a three team fight for pool. Uh, of course, it is a very short track in Spielberg, so. The gaps tend to be a bit smaller than they would be at a track like Spa, for example. So it always maybe makes it seem like the gaps are closer than in reality they are, just because of how short um, the run is around Red Bull Ring. But anyway, the story of this qualifying session, besides a notable front runner uh, crashing both their cars in Q3, was easily all the track limits violations. Drivers having their lap times deleted left and right, especially at turn 10, which is the last corner of the track. Like I said, very short track, only 10 corners. Turn 10, trying to carry a lot of speed onto the uh, start-finish straight to end your lap, and it's very, very easy to go wide. And with these new cars, drivers are struggling with a little bit with their uh, visibility. So many of them were in denial about the fact that they even crossed track limits, but they did. You know, it's a very fine margin. Um, the exit of that turn 10 corner. So I would say the track limits 
definitely hurt Sergio Perez more than anyone, as it initially appeared that he made it safely to Q3 and then qualified fourth for the sprint, which I'm not sure if he would have been happy about kind of finishing last out of the top two teams, Red Bull and Ferrari, but, you know, there's fourth place is still something, you could do something from there in the race. But after the session was over, an investigation saw his Q3 times deleted because the lap that got him into Q3 was actually invalid. He did um, use more of the track than he was allowed to. Therefore, he was basically eliminated from Q3, had to be put back into P13 for the sprint. Not exactly where he wanted to be, but at the at, like thinking about it, you're kind of glad that there was a sprint, right? If you're Checo, because that gives you a chance. It gives you however many laps it was to get yourself back into that position that you kind of deserve to be in, or at least just set yourself up better for the race. Um, but anyway, in Q3, just when Mercedes was finally finding some qualifying form, at least it looked like it, especially in the hands of Lewis Hamilton, you know, at points during Q1, Q2, he was setting the fastest laps. And, you know, that's something Mercedes was not doing earlier on in the season. There were always quite a big quite a bit of a substantial gap between Mercedes and the top two teams in qualifying especially um, but he was unable to put a lap together at all in Q3 before he lost his car in turn seven just a few minutes after Lewis Hamilton lost his car crashed into the barriers George Russell goes rear end first into the barriers at turn 10 they each brought out a red flag these incidents really put Mercedes on the back foot the whole weekend uh, Lewis, he started P9. It, it would have been P10 had Perez not got eliminated from Q3. And George was P4 because he at least had a time on the board. And again, because Perez was excluded from qualifying. Or sorry, from Q3. Um, so the reason I say Mercedes was on the back foot there is because they had a, quite a bit of repairs to do in a short amount of time to get ready for the sprint the next day. Both drivers kind of said that it didn't feel the same as it did in qualifying. But Anyway, getting a little ahead of ourselves, let's finish what happened in qualifying. So with only three true contenders for pole left, who was it that snatched the fastest lap around the Red Bull ring? Well, of course, it was none other than the hometown boy Max Verstappen, who edged out the Ferrari boys to claim his third pole of the season, retaking the lead over Charles Leclerc for career poles. Charles was only 29 thousandths of a second off of Max's time, while Carlos was 82 thousandths off. So incredibly fine margins separating the top three, all within a tenth. Excellent job from those three in qualifying. And it was kind of it was kind of odd because we had Charles Leclerc kind of he went to the top of the the timesheets. Um and he was I think like two tenths off of Max's best time before he uh set his last lap time. And then he comes around the third sector and he goes to the top, and everyone is like what like how did he do that? What of what a mighty sector three, and then you see Verstappen, who's yellow in sector one, yellow in sector two, and yellow just means that it's not your even your personal best. So he's slower than his best lap or his best sectors in sector one and sector two, and then in sector three, all of a sudden he's faster than Leclerc and Sainz, and it wasn't even a purple sector three either. So it was very weird to see all like the top three times not have any purple sectors. I, that was very odd. I haven't seen that in a while. But again, such fine margins at the Austrian Grand Prix. 
Um, so other notes in qualifying was that after a shocking performance in the UK, Ricardo failed to bring his McLaren into Q2. He qualified 16th, and at the time, everyone was kind of, you know, again, like, oh, Daniel, come on, we need to see more out of you. But then in the end, Lando wasn't able to be better than even 15th. So just a shocking qualifying for the McLaren team. Lando was reporting that he was scared to hit the brakes. So they had definitely had some issues with their car early on Friday. Um, but on the other side, someone who had an extremely good qualifying was the American unit, Haas. After a double points finish in Silverstone for the first time in three seasons, they followed up with a P6 and P7 in qualifying. Haas is definitely on the up after a bad stretch uh, where they didn't score points for quite a while. Um, so for the sprint, though, we have a couple cars out of order, namely Lewis and Checo. Um, usually that's a recipe for an interesting race, but it wasn't enough. And I boldly predicted that this would be the best sprint F1 has ever held. And it wasn't nearly as good as I hoped, unfortunately. Uh, first off, before we even got going, Alpine made a weird blunder on Alonso's car. They left the tire blankets on for the formation lap. So basically just these things that go over the tires to keep them warm while the I guess the cars are ready to, to before they're ready to go for the formation lap. Um, but if you forget to take them off, that's your sprint over basically before it started. I guess I think you are able to start from the pit lane after you do something like that. Um, but they said that there was apparently an electrical issue with Alonso's Alpine. Because uh, he didn't end up starting from the pit lane. He just basically took the L. And it, it, But it was still puzzling to see the car look like it's ready to go. And then it's just sitting there with the blankets on. So I'm not sure if Alpine's just covering up for a big mistake. Um, if I could do a Scottish accent, I'd do the David Coulthard. You know, pretty fundamental misunderstanding. I think it's a conspiracy to favor Kimi. Uh, one of the funniest press conferences ever. I'm not suggesting anything like that, of course, but it, it would make no sense at all, really, to not favor Alonso, even if I was suggesting uh, Alpine was favoring anyone, because Alonso's arguably been the quicker driver, but then again, he's had just so many more issues than uh, the French Esteban Ocon. Uh, I'll just throw that out there, but no, I'm just kidding. I'm not really, I'm not suggesting anything. I think it was just a weird mistake or possibly just was an issue and then they forgot to take them off because they knew that he was done i'm not sure but weirdly enough too joe he also couldn't make it to the grid slot his engine apparently cut out before the formation or before he got to his grid slot so the formation lap was abandoned um, and they had to do a second one for the sprint so yeah just very odd before we even got going but let's actually get into the racing action verstappen got away well covered off Leclerc very aggressively. He covered him off so well that Carlos was actually able to take P2 from Leclerc and challenge Max um, all the way into turn three. Um, unfortunately for Carlos, Charles then came storming back down the inside of his teammate. Um, he wasn't able to make the move at turn three, but they were side by side going into turn four. Leclerc gets it done there, which kind of ignites a fight between the Ferraris that allowed Verstappen to scamper off into the distance. That was kind of the whole fight up, up front. I was hoping it would be much more... I mean, I thought Perez was going to be in there. I thought there was going to be much more fighting up front in the sprint. But in reality, it was just a couple Ferraris battling each other and Verstappen kind of maintaining a three-second gap out front. Um, also at the start, though, Hamilton was pinched between Albon and Gasly and unfortunately made contact in a very similar way that we saw in Silverstone with Zhou Guan Yu. 
However, luckily the shunt wasn't nearly as bad. I mean, anyone who saw Joe's, that was a scary-looking accident. This wasn't nearly as bad, but Gasly did unfortunately tumble down to the back of the grid, um, hitting tires with uh, Lewis Hamilton, of course. This benefited Perez a ton in the sprint, uh, who was able to move up five places to P8 very quickly. And he was behind the Haas at this point, um, but the Haas were looking very fast. It wasn't exactly easy for him to breeze past them. He was in a bit of a DRS train, but he eventually put a great move on Schumacher, who was maybe looking to go around the outside of his teammate, and that's when Perez pounced, went up the inside, got past Mick, and then once he was able to go in between, then Magnussen, of course, who was leading that DRS train, did not have DRS. Perez was able to make that move, and it was huge for his sprint. Um, because when Hamilton caught up, he was stuck behind them much longer. He could not get past Mick Schumacher until, I think, like the third lap from the end. So kind of getting ahead of myself there again, as we know Hamilton was able to pass Mick. Uh, Checo did eventually recover from P13 to P5, so just an epic recovery from him, getting him in a spot that he should have been in. And like I said, Hamilton did eventually get passed, but he was not able to get past Magnussen meaning Mick almost grabbed a point because I did say that Perez was in eighth. There wasn't a whole lot of moving up front. So when Perez got past, that left Mick Schumacher in eighth place. Hamilton was able to steal that eighth place point, while Mick almost grabbed a point in a sprint race um, after scoring his first points just a week before. Had he not scored in Silverstone, he almost would have scored his first points in a sprint, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, but yeah, he was not happy about it after because he was just behind Magnuson the whole time. They told him to hold position. He thinks he was faster. He should have been able to go. Um, but unfortunately he was stuck in ninth. Magnuson did grab the two points in P7 for the team, but Mick, Mick was hoping for better. And yeah, there was quite a few videos, uh, going around on Twitter of Mick just very angry in the pen after the race talking to, uh, not sure if it was Sky Sports or F1 TV or an outside um, network. I'm, I'm not sure. But, yeah, he, he was not happy. Um, so, yeah, up front, kind of already gave it away. But Max won the third sprint of his career already. There's only been, what, five sprints total? And they've all been won by Max and Bottas. It's kind of strange. But, yeah, Max is uh, up to three wins in the sprint already. That's eight points for them. And Ferrari cost themselves a chance at the sprint win 100%. They were still able to go 2-3 as Russell slotted in in fourth. But, yeah, uh, Ferrari just, I'm not sure why they're allowing them to fight each other. But, you know, it's Ferrari. What uh, Should we expect anything less at this point? Um, so let's get into the race. We're still, we're 15 minutes in already, guys, and we haven't even got to the damn Grand Prix. So let's get into it. The start. Nobody at the front gets a horrible start this time. Uh, they all go through turn one cleanly, except for Carlos Sainz. He, he runs a bit wide, but he fights to keep his position heading into turn three. Um, he was able to keep that position, but Russell, he had Perez breathing down his neck. Checo go to, tries to go around the outside of turn four, spot where we've seen many incidents of drivers in the past just not leaving enough space. Um, most notably, in 2020, Albon looked like he could have went on to win the race, Yet, Hamilton did the same thing, just understeering into turn four. Albon trying to go around the outside, punts him off into the gravel. Albon's race is done. 
And that's exactly what happened here between Perez and Russell. Uh, Perez's GP was over just like that, basically. He suffered uh, substantial damage, retired in the pits on lap 26 after just showing that the damage just, there was there was no chance he was coming back. Even if they were hoping for a safety car, he wasn't even going to have the pace to make it through the field, so they just retired the car. Uh, Russell also had his consequences. He got wing damage. He got a five-second penalty. Uh, Russell did contest the penalty after the race, claiming it was lap one and there's nothing that he could do. But honestly, in my opinion, there's there's a precedent that's been set to um, in past races. And I think Perez maybe, I, I don't know. I, I don't really think there was much more Perez could have done either. At the end of the day, Perez was ahead. And that's kind of the rules. If Perez is ahead, you kind of have to concede a little bit. And if you put him into the gravel, then that's kind of your fault. I'm sorry, Russell, but I I just I think that the five second penalty, you know, no nothing more harsh than that. Maybe it is a bit harsh even to get five seconds, but I think he kind of had to give it to him there. And I, some people will disagree with me, but you know, another driver did the exact same thing. Sure, it wasn't on lap one, but did the exact same thing later in the race. And if you think that he didn't deserve a penalty for that either then I don't know. I think you're kind of crazy. So Russell kind of deserved this one. So yeah, after that collision, the top three of Max and Ferraris were just driving away from everyone else because Russell was kind of holding position in fourth, but was way off the pace because of his damage. Um, and for those who listened to the Austria preview, I predicted a grand slam for Max this weekend. It was looking pretty good after, you know, pole position and then a sprint win. He's leading. But then 12 laps into the Grand Prix, that was all over. As Charles Leclerc made a brilliant move down the inside of Max at turn four to take the lead. His best move of the day by far. And just as Sainz was also closing in on Max, Max suffering from massive degradation on his tires. Max comes into the pits for his first stop. Ferrari stayed out much longer. And it was clear from the moment that the Ferraris came in and started to catch Max that they were just on the way better strategy and Frankly, they were just the quicker car this weekend. While all this was going on, though, up front, we had a bit of a battle, but in the midfield, boy, were we treated to one of the best battles of the season so far. Another race with five drivers racing for position. Of course, in Silverstone, it was kind of for the second to sixth position. This was more of just kind of racing for position in the race, not a huge result type of um, battle, but boy, both Hasses, Norris, Joe, and Alonso, were like five abreast going into turn three. It was wild. I can't believe it. Right before that, we had, we had brilliant driving from K-Mag in this battle. He makes a double overtake on Joe and Alonso into turn one, then defends Norris into turn three and turn four with an absolutely great effort on the brakes to keep the position at turn four. Norris looked like he was completely ahead. Magnuson with just great car control. Dives up the inside, keeps the position. It was amazing. Hats off to K-Mag. Hats off to all the drivers because they barely even made contact going five into a corner. Just absolutely incredible scenes to watch. That was awesome. But track limits. Not only did they play a huge role in qualifying in the race, we had 43 track limit breaches. 43! And it led to four drivers, Vettel, Gasly, Joe, and Norris, receiving time penalties for too many warnings. It was like a damn F-122 lobby out there. 
just track limit warnings all over the place. Many other drivers getting black and white flags. I think Lewis, I think Sainz got, um, I think Leclerc and Verstappen were maybe like a warning away from a black and white flag. Yeah, track limits violations were everywhere. And um, I'm not sure how I feel about it because I think everyone would prefer, you know, a more straightforward Grand Prix with less track limit warnings. But at the same time, if that's the rules, the drivers have to follow the rules. And if you don't give them consequences, then they're going to abuse those rules because, you know, carrying the speed out of turn 10 um, and, you know, using more of the track than you're given is going to allow you to be faster. So if some drivers think that they have to keep it on the tarmac and then other drivers know that they're kind of getting away with carrying the speed, then that's a huge advantage to those drivers. So I think that's what you have to do. Um, but it did kind of make the Grand Prix a little bit weird in that sense. Um, also, I think it was Perez. I think it was Perez who was saying that he thinks that some drivers were getting away with it more than others. So if that is the case, then that is completely unfair. Um, but I personally didn't see any of that because it's not like I'm watching every single driver go through turn 10 over and over and over again. I was, uh, you know, kind of just watching the whole Grand Prix instead of just turn 10. So I would be actually very interested to see someone who sat in the grandstands by turn 10 and see what they saw. If they were kind of focusing on that. That would be very interesting because, I mean, I don't know why Checo would just say that, especially when he was like completely out of the race. So after he retired, he could have been, he could have been watching out for that. So I don't know. Maybe we can take Checo's word for it there because if that is the case, then then I, I definitely don't like them just handing out penalties left and right to everyone. Um, but yeah, speaking of penalties, on lap 40, Gasly received a second five-second penalty for punting off Sebastian Vettel in the same way George Russell did to Perez on lap one. Yeah, just shocking day for Gasly. Uh, he gets punted off in the sprint race, and then he uh, punts off Sebastian Vettel on turn four. He gets a five-second penalty. Yeah, just really, really bad day for Alpha Tower, honestly, totally. Um, but back to the fight up front, it, m- it must have been so frustrating for Verstappen because him and the Ferraris were both on two-stop strategies, and on each stint, he got passed by Charles Leclerc, and it looked easier each time. So that means Charles Leclerc, after not passing Verstappen on the track and like making it stick for quite some time, I think as Crofty said, he does it three times in this Grand Prix. So it, it was looking like an easy Scuderia 1-2, but on lap 57 of 71, just as Sainz was chasing Max with DRS, had a massive pace advantage, his engine goes up in flames. And, oh, when I saw that, I mean, we all saw Ferrari's reaction. That was, uh, that was heartbreaking because it would have been kind of, I think, a turning point, and it's points that they should have had over Max, you know, to kind of to help Charles too. So I just I really hope that's not why uh, what Ferrari meant when they put their drivers on Plan E for engine failure, as some people were joking. Um, but yeah, just even when Ferrari gets something right, something goes wrong. It's it's been just that type of season for Ferrari, hasn't it? But yeah, with Signs and Perez out, Russell on a comeback drive, Lewis Hamilton very lonely in P3. He went on to take another podium. But it was not that simple up front. After Leclerc made that move on Verstappen, he built himself a four-second gap. Looks like he was going to take the easiest of wins. 
But with 10 or so laps to go, after Sainz retired, I think there was 12 laps to the finish after the virtual safety car, the hearts of Ferrari were in their throats as Leclerc was reporting issues with his throttle puddle. Uh, throttle puddle. Wow, words, English. Um, throttle pedal. Um, yeah, Leclerc, and he was very vocal on the radio, lap after lap after lap, saying that you should see what I'm doing with the throttle. It's a mess. Uh, just not what you want to hear. Verstappen was closing in very fast. I could just imagine Leclerc fans' hearts just beating so fast because he absolutely should have won this race. And, of course, he did. Thank God he did. If he did not win this race, I might have stopped watching Formula 1 this year. I swear to God. Because that would have just been way too painful to take for Ferrari. Verstappen did close the gap down to 1.5 seconds. But the checkered flag came at the perfect time. As Leclerc took the thrilling win, saying he was scared. He was very scared on the radio afterwards. So the final results. Uh, we had Charles P1, his third win of the season. It's his first career win from outside pole position as well. And his first win since April when he achieved a Grand Slam in Australia. Max, of course, was P2. Arguably should have been P3 with signs in P2. But Lewis, he took the third uh, spot on the podium for his third consecutive podium of the 2022 season. He now has more podiums than Russell, by the way, who was P4 and still has a significant points advantage over Lewis. Ocon, P5, absolutely underrated race from him. I didn't even mention him at all in the race review, but I think he was arguably shafted of driver of the day too because all the hype went to Mick Schumacher with a career-best P6. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Mick because he did have a brilliant race. And I think he kind of has a bit of a more uh, fandom following Mick Schumacher around, of course, because of his name. And he is just, he looks like such a delightful guy, doesn't he, Mick? Um, but yeah, Ocon and Mick, just both brilliant races. Norris was P7. Magnussen made it two consecutive double points finishes for Haas and P8. Like I said, everyone's favorite underdog. They are on some kind of run right now with two consecutive double points finishes. Let's see what they can keep doing because I feel like that's been one of Haas's problems. When they have a car, they always just find ways to throw away points. They, If they can continue to score good points like this, they can get into a fight for P6 with Alfa Romeo. No question about that. So Ricardo was P9. Solid recovery from him after a tough first couple days of the weekend. And P10 was Alonso, who are, he definitely should have been way higher if it weren't for Alpine's gaffe in the sprint. Um, also, Alonso had the moment of the race, and I can't believe I haven't mentioned it yet. But after he pitted, he came out in, I think, P17, right behind Yuki Sonoda. And Yuki was defending um, from Alonso very, very hard coming out of turn three, almost pushing Alonso onto the grass. Alonso just kept his foot down got past the sophomore driver, Yuki Sonoda, and just as he was getting into the braking zone, literally still kind of wheel-to-wheel with Sonoda, he gives him the finger wag. Oh my goodness, Fernando Alonso, just Nando doing Nando things. That was arguably the moment of the race. I mean, everybody loved that. Classic Fernando. And what Martin said on the commentary was just absolutely hilarious. Just, I, I couldn't even get it justice. I'm not even going to try. But just the way he said it's how he's scolding the other driver into the braking zone in an unsighted corner. Oh, it's so funny. Um, 
So yeah, Max Verstappen loses ground yet again, but is still comfortably atop the driver's standings with a 38-point lead to Charles Leclerc, who took P2 in the standings from Checo, who is now 19 points down on the Ferrari driver. Speaking of Ferrari, Sainz sits in P4, only 5 points up on George Russell now. Lewis Hamilton is in P6, 19 points behind his teammate. Norris is P7, followed by Ocon P8, who grabbed 13 points this weekend and swapped positions with Valtteri Bottas, who is now in P9. And then P10, we have Magic Alonso. Sorry, I'm so bad at accents, but if you guys have seen those videos, you're my friend. Um, in the constructors, Red Bull still leads 56, or sorry, by 56 over Ferrari. The Scuderia now lead Mercedes by 66 points, although in the Grand Prix, Mercedes actually scored the most points out of any constructor, but only, I think, one more than Ferrari. So, I mean, I didn't really think that was worth mentioning in the race review. Um, but anyway, while the battle behind Ferrari and Mercedes is getting even tighter because they are now level on points, McLaren and Alpine both sitting on 81 points, I think it is. I'm so looking forward to this fight for the rest of the season, to be honest. I'm predicting Alpine is going to take that. I know maybe it's easier to say because Alpine has looked stronger than McLaren recently. And Daniel Ricciardo has definitely been the weakest of the drivers, of those four drivers on those two teams. Alonso's had a ton of bad luck. So I think picking Alpine in this fight is definitely the, I guess, easier uh, prediction. But yeah, McLaren's just, they're not consistent enough. Speaking of not being consistent enough, though, Alfa Romeo, they have definitely struggled as of late. They were right in that fight, and now they're 30 points behind those two. And with Haas surging, they only lead the Steiner ship by 17 points. Haas could grab 17 points in the next two races. If Alfa Romeo doesn't sort out some reliability issues they've had, they might be dropping down to 7th. After such a promising start to the season, Alfa Romeo is definitely going to want to stay in that top 6. Um, but Alpha Tari, speaking of struggles, oh God, they have dropped to P8 after more tough times for them. Remember how I said Gasly had a very, very shocking weekend? Yeah, well, Sonoda finished behind him. Yeah, it's that bad. Aston Martin, they sit nine points back of Alpha Tari in P9, while Williams is still looking for their first points since Miami in P10. Albon did finish P12 in the race and said that they think they made a step forward. So maybe we could see some more P9s, P10s from the Williams team soon. Hopefully Latifi grabs a point as well so we can see all drivers on the grid. I mean, minus Nico Hulkenberg, but he doesn't count um, scoring a point this season. That would be fantastic. So now it's time for my prize, demise, and surprise. My prize. Guys, I honestly, I'm not taking any of the top three teams. None of the drivers in the top three teams. I think Leclerc had a great race, and he could have been the prize. But I think this just has to go to Haas. It has it has to go to Haas. <laughs> oh, that is so corny. Um, but, yeah, what a weekend from them. I mean, from start to finish, this was probably the best weekend they've had all season. Because we've seen Haas in Canada just with a fantastic performance in qualifying and it falls apart in silverstone they were terrible in qualifying but they recover brilliantly in the race and they had obviously a pretty good barring grand prix with kevin magnuson but mick had a bit of an air there was moments early on in the season they're good but from start to finish the sprint 
the the race the qualifying has was amazing and they absolutely look like they're primed to have a great second half of the season because they still haven't brought upgrades guys upgrades are coming to this Haas car and unless they absolutely just blow them and have to go back to their to their original spec car like they did I think 2019 it was Haas is going is going to be a very solid midfield team for the rest of the season I think they're, they're of course every midfield team is going to have their bad moments but as long as they limit those Haas is is awesome <laughs> who doesn't love Haas at this point come on guys um so yeah the demise uh, I've kind of already said I think all I need to say about Alpha Tauri they're absolutely my demise this weekend um I shouldn't have mentioned all those things I said about Alphatara already because that was kind of what I was going to use here. But I just don't think anyone else can be the demise this weekend for a team anyway. Since I went with team for prize, I wanted to do a team for demise as well. Um, but I guess if I picked a driver, I could have went with Carlos Sainz. He, kind of, he might lose priority from, from Charles now. Perez obviously loses massive ground in the championship. Um... But, yeah, just Alpha Tower was that bad this weekend. Like I said, for how bad of a Grand Prix Gasly had, you'd think Sonoda, who's had a very improved season, would maybe pick up the pieces. But, no, he finishes behind Gasly. Gasly had 10 seconds of penalties. I don't know if he got any damage from the from the incident with Vettel, to be honest. But that is just shocking. Sonoda said he had absolutely no pace. Gasly, I think, has been a bit lost as of late because Alpha Tauri just seems to be nowhere. They have moments where they're like looking good and qualifying, but they can't put a whole weekend together. So I thought Alpha Tauri was going to be probably like the fifth best team this year. I thought that they would continue their momentum from last year, be a very solid midfield team. But if Aston Martin is able to sort out whatever problems they have, Alpha Tauri could fall back even further. Yeah, it's not been a great season for them. So, my surprise. Um, I'll pick something, instead of just a team's performance, I'm going to pick something a little more specific, and I'm going to say just how bad the tire dag was on Max's car. Um, I thought Max was going to get a Grand Slam, like I said earlier. I thought that they were definitely going to be the best car at this track. I think it makes sense that the Ferrari did well here, but I just thought, you know, Max Verstappen, I think he's the best driver on the grid. This is a track that he loves. I thought the Red Bull car was still definitely going to be good here because I thought that with the three DRS zones, if Red Bull is within that DRS, they're always going to be able to make the move with their straight line speed. But man, their tires, or I should say just Max's because we didn't really get to see what Perez could do. Um, but man, his tire drag was awful. Because at, at points in the stint, Max looked fast. You know, he got away initially very well in the first stint but then Leclerc just closed the gap because his tires were doing so much better and basically that happened on every stint except for the last one because Leclerc is obviously dealing with the throttle pedal issues not throttle puddle or whatever the hell I said <laughs> um, but yeah that was very surprising and if Red Bull doesn't sort that out they might have a problem on their hands because the Ferrari looks way better on the tires I find usually these things are pretty track dependent but we'll see going forward tires will be important at the French Grand Prix last year we saw Mercedes try to make the one stop work Red Bull went for the two stop got uh, Lewis late Perez was able to pass Bottas 
So strategy and tire wear is going to be huge in the, at the French Grand Prix. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I'm hoping that Ferrari is able to maybe, maybe Red Bull does have a bit of a bad spell here and Ferrari is able to close the gap just so we can have a better championship. But at the same time, uh, I want the racing to be closer and this was almost too easy for Ferrari. So yeah, that's all I'll say. Let's let's talk about the championship before I get too much into the Red Bull versus Ferrari because I'm still keeping that segment going and yet I'm I'm getting way ahead of myself once again as I love to do. So yeah, let's get into it. So this championship segment is going to be titled Is Ferrari giving us false hope? Because once again, Ferrari they looked like just the way quicker car this weekend. They're, both their drivers performed extremely well, and it should have been a 1-2, but they throw away more points. And those points that Sainz' failure gave to Max were very unfortunate um, because, obviously, Charles, for the drivers, needs every bit of points that he can get right now, and Ferrari needs every bit of points for the constructors. That was a massive L in the constructors that they just gave away with Sainz. Um but in a way, this also could be good for Charles. I wouldn't say it's really good for Ferrari. It might make their life a bit easier because maybe they can finally give Leclerc some priority because this was a 25-point gain on his teammate for Charles, right? So, yeah, it is It is such a shame, though, that Ferrari has built this incredible machine, yet their reliability and strategy has just cost them so much, especially their reliability. I think this is the fourth engine failure of the season. We had Leclerc in Spain and Azerbaijan, Sainz in Azerbaijan, and here. And then we had Sainz crashing in Australia, crashing in Imola. Um, yeah, so I think that is four, four engine failures for Ferrari already. And not only is it just throwing away points, it's going to cost them later in the season because, you know, it's going to mean more engine penalties for both their drivers in the future now. Um, and again, We've been critical of their strategy, and then their strategy looks amazing in Austria, but then the reliability lets them down. Always something is letting Ferrari down, and there's still a pretty big gap for Red Bull right now, so I think people are getting a little more excited about the championship, thinking that it can get closer, and I'm just a little bit concerned that this is false hope that Ferrari is giving us. So yeah, that's that's what I wanted to talk about. I still got Red Bull to win both championships, um, because... I just think Ferrari, I've said it a million times, I think they've thrown away too many points. We're at the halfway point of the season. Red Bull's just not going to make those same mistakes. So even if Ferrari continues to close the gap, there's just no way you're going to shut out Red Bull and Max from winning again. And Red Bull's just not going to cough up those points that Ferrari did earlier. So yeah, Red Bull's winning both championships. I'm hoping to get closer. And... I will concede that I may have been wrong to say that it was going to get worse for Ferrari before it got better. Um, but yeah, I still got Red Bull, and I think Mercedes might be able to, you know, grab some points from either team. But I just think there's no way Mercedes is also moving into the top two. It's incredible that they're this close in P3, to be honest. So yeah, before I wrap up, um, I just thought I'd mention something kind of fun, uh, especially for my Canadian listeners. Um, on Spitting Chicklets last week, a uh, very popular hockey podcast in North America. So if, you, if, you, if you're Canadian, you don't really follow hockey, you might not know these guys anyway. But the guys interviewed German defenseman and rookie of the year Moritz Sider of the Detroit Red Wings, 
really cool guy, really fun interview. And in the interview, he mentioned that the big thing that he loves to do in his free time is play the F1 game. So when I heard that, I just, I perked up. That was awesome. Uh, Mo Sider, what do you, what's your PSN name, man? Add me up. We'll race. <laughs> um, anyway, so that'll do it for the Felipe Massa episode of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 20 next Monday to preview the French Grand Prix. I can't believe we're already at 20 episodes. That's just crazy. Anyways, goodbye.